Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Biggie. Biggie. Kicking in your radio speaker, not the door, on a Tuesday. This is the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio. 92.7 WFNZ and Queen City. You, your family, and your friends are invited to the best 4th of July fireworks show in the Southeast. The 2023 WBT Sky Show brought to you in part by Audi Charlotte and Dry Otter Waterproofing. For more information, visit WFNZ.com. We have a, fu- a couple of text messages rolling in and I don't know if Richard Petty retired and then came back. I don't know, but somebody said Richard Petty. That was was pretty good. So if Richard Petty did retire and then come back at one point in his career, then maybe you could roll with that. But number one troll accurately depicted our attempts at mashing up athletes that retired and then came back. He said those were terrible. All the ones that I came up with, they were (laughs) terrible. And honestly, I can't fight them. They were. (laughs) I mean, Ricky Williams, I was trying. I was on a time crunch. And the best one I could come up with was uh, Willie Gronkowski and Muhammad Alpi. That was the best one I could come up with. Yeah, Muhammad Alpi was my favorite. Okay. Well, I Everybody, I understand. They were bad, but I was working on the time crunch, and uh, we appreciate any good inclusions. And on I the liked the wit, man. You, you know, you worked fast, and you came up with something, and, you know, a couple of them worked. Thanks for gassing me up, Wes. Yeah, man. Yeah, number one troll. For. They weren't that terrible to Wes. <laughs> Get out of here. All right. So talking a little bit of college football, the season will be here before you know it. But Clemson Offensive Coordinator Garrett Riley, we've been hearing a lot about this guy. We know he's making two milli. We know he's one of the highest paid assistants in college football, and he has been brought forth to save the Clemson offense. And now he is attempting to bring back wide receiver U. The Clemson Tigers have fallen on some lean times as far as the days of when they had dominant receivers like a DeAndre Hopkins or Sammy Watkins or a T Higgins, but no Clemson receivers have been selected in the past two NFL drafts. And so you're talking about now the Tigers have landed a couple of wideouts that could come in and change that five-star Bryant Wesco and four-star TJ Moore currently committed to the Clemson Tigers. They may be able to pick up another big time receiver in the 2024 class as well. But from 2017 through 2021, seven Clemson receivers were drafted highest were first rounders Mike Williams and T Higgins were first and second rounders respectively Amari Rogers went in the third so we know about some of the big timers that they've had in the past early 2010s DeAndre Hopkins Sammy Watkins Martavis Bryant but uh, Garrett Riley is using these guys in his recruiting pitch to get these wide receivers and saying, hey, we're going to get back to the days of having that dominant top-notch receiver. And you look at that roster right now, and there's not a guy really on there that you see that you feel like could be a tremendous difference maker. Now, that could all change. But when you talk about Bo Collins, Antonio Williams, and some of those guys, they still have a lot to prove. And in the flashes that you've seen from them, at least in my or from my vantage point, I haven't seen a guy that can maybe be on the level of the aforementioned guys I just said. But what do you think about Garrett Riley using this 
and Clemson's lack of star power at the wide receiver position currently. Yeah, I mean, I think you can go back and if you want to get, you know, if you want to get back to wide receiver you, then it's going to be a tall task. The only reason I say that is because, man, you look at all of the weapons that they would produce. Um, it was top-notch, first-round type of guys. You're talking about DeAndre Hopkins, even Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams. And then, if they weren't going in the first round, T. Higgins barely not selected in the first round. And even a Hunter Renfro, who wasn't a first-round pick, is also a productive NFL receiver yes. as it stands currently. Yeah, th- that, uh, for a while, Clemson was producing as many wide receivers as you could ask for. And then it feels like LSU kind of adopted that, especially with Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson being on the same team. Maybe they've taken that title. I do like the Garrett Riley hire a lot, though. I think they needed a breath of fresh air within that offense. And to be really creative, to see what he was able to do with TCU, you also were able to recruit high-level wide receivers. Quentin Johnson, a first-round guy. You know that the entire coaching staff is a part of the recruiting process. So if you get someone that's a first-round wide receiver talent like Quentin Johnson and Garrett Riley is a part of that, then maybe Garrett Riley can do some of that with Clemson that already has a foundation you can point to. It makes all the sense in the world. I wonder if Riley will be the thing we look back at. If there is an offensive resurgence and say that was when it all changed, that's when Dabo got things back on track as far as a college football playoff standpoint. Goes. Yeah, because Brian Wesco, the five-star receiver that's a top 10 overall recruit according to 24-7 composite, he was a guy that Garrett Riley was recruiting while he was at TCU. Then when he came to Clemson, he made him one of the first guys that he called. But how much pressure is on Garrett Riley this season? I mean, everybody's looking at him to save this offense, take them to another level. They see what he did with a guy that's not the best athlete in Max Duggan, turned him in to a Heisman Trophy caliber player. What do you think of this guy as far as how much pressure he's going to be under from Clemson fans and also just nationally in that scope? I actually don't think that much. I don't think there's a lot of pressure because you come in. Yeah, you got a big contract. Yeah, people are looking to you to help with this offense, but it's not going to take much to be better, right? I mean, it's not like DJ, you came in and lit it up. Cade Klubnik has one game that you can point to and say, that is something that we can build off of to be this highly touted QB prospect. You got the one game against North Carolina and that's it. It's going to be pretty easy to have Cade Klubnik play a lot better under this offensive regime than what you even saw last year. And plus, think about how soured the fan base was towards a couple of the other offensive coordinators. You have Tony Elliott leave. He goes to Virginia to become that head coach. And then you still can't even replace what you had in previous years. Yeah, man. Like I don't think that there's a ton of pressure. No, you can't lay an egg. You definitely want to get to top 10 whatever type of offensive numbers. And you want to get to the highest ranks that you can possibly get for sure. But as far as the immediate pressure... There's not going to be that much just because the offense wasn't living up to anything compared to what it was with Trevor Lawrence, with Travis Etienne, with some of those other wide receivers talking about the wide receiver U class. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that hard to reach some of those levels. Uh, I would disagree. Push back here, as I like to do with you sometimes. But this Clemson offense, as far as points per game, was fourth in the ACC, around 33 points per game. This is a Clemson program that's used to scoring in to the 40s and blowing people out on a regular basis. But I think people are – they talked about how the offense – under Dabo Sweeney and the former coordinators that he had was a bit simplistic, uh, was not very attacking and kind of not necessarily, I won't say easy to shut down, 
but kind of predictable in a lot of ways. We saw DJ use comments talking about how that wasn't really the fit for him as far as what he likes to do. But they said that the quarterbacks that have played in this offense, whether you're talking about Deshaun, Trevor Lawrence, Taj Boyd has made this, uh, they may, or especially Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson made this offense look a lot better than what it was. So I think for him, Clemson fans are going to be looking to get back to scoring on a regular basis, lighting up the scoreboard. I think if they see a lot of the same that they've seen as far as just lack of being a dynamic offense, not putting pressure on defenses constantly down in and down out. I think people are going to be looking at him uh, with the side eye. He might get a little bit of grace because it's his first year, but I definitely think the pressure is going to be on uh, with all that has come with him when you talk salary, reputation, et cetera. Marty, the one-man party, wrote in on the text line, you guys are clowning us, right? There's only one wide receiver you, and that is the Ohio State Buckeyes. It's not even They are right now, man. No, that's fine. If you want to bring Ohio State, that makes a lot of sense. But here's the thing. You bring up the rankings. They're fourth in the ACC. Mm-hmm. I would argue that's not okay for Clemson. Yeah. I would argue Clemson needs to be higher than fourth. Also, if you look at the teams. That and that's are, what I was saying. If you are looking at the teams right behind them, mm-hmm. Clemson was actually ranked 48th in all of college football when it comes to yards per game. Louisville was 49. Pittsburgh was 50. So they're even barely fourth within the ACC. You drop them down a couple of notches. You're talking about being an average ACC offense. Now, you can't be having that within the new regime that Dabo has built with Clemson football. And so Garrett Riley, I don't expect them to be at 48 next year. I don't expect them to be at fourth next year. And that's with talented offense that you have in what is considered a weaker football conference. Anyway, I do think, yes, you do have that fourth ranked. You do have something where you can still build a part of a uh, build upon, I should say. But I do think this is going to be someone that if you get top 30, then you've already beaten what you've had the last couple of seasons, especially last year. So, yeah, long-term, there's going to be levels to this. You need to have an offense that has enough firepower to where you feel good against any defense going into the college football playoff. But at least in the immediate return, you got to win the ACC championship, which they've proven they can do with a little bit of a lackluster, especially with their expectation type of offense. But if they can get top 30... Hands are clean, man. If you win the, then it's the defense. They got to do what they're supposed to do and improve upon that. They're going to improve upon what they did last year on offense. All right. Drake May, he's out here making the rounds at the Manning Passing Academy. They said he starred at said academy. Long shot challenge. They said Drake May standing 50 yards from a basketball goal, dropped the pass right through the net to end the competition before it even got started. They said he looked sharp uh, on a Friday workout there at the camp. And they said at 6'5", 220, he stands out from the crowd. Everybody talking about Caleb Williams. And I know uh, we got to this topic before saying what's the gap between these two. But Drake May out here at the Manning Passing Academy starting up the propaganda early as far as him being the best quarterback in the country. So do you think that this is uh, just a legit thing that Drake May is going to come out and show everybody and give them a reason to think about who is the best quarterback in the country in 2023? It's a tougher schedule. Mac Brown will let you know that. He'll let you know that <laughs> emphatically yes. so. But I do think Drake May is going to be right there until the very end, competing with Caleb Williams to be the number one overall pick. I don't think there's going to be this big gap between some of the other generational prospects that you might think Caleb Williams is flirting with. It's going to be between these two guys. And some of the mock drafts out there say, 
the Cardinals will select Caleb Williams or whoever is expected to finish with the worst NFL record. They'll pick Caleb. He'll go number one. And then it's been Marvin Harrison Jr. as that number two pick. I would not be surprised at all to see both of these QBs go back to back. Somebody trade up because you can't afford to miss out on somebody of this ilk like Drake May. And it's going to be a fascinating debate. We'll be checking in on both sides of the country. Chapel Hill going to L.A. trying to figure out who could be that number one overall selection. Caleb Williams still in front right now, especially with the way that these guys ended the regular season. But Drake May is going to be there. I don't think there's going to be this monster gap between the two. Yeah, and I think Carolina fans should be excited because, for one, you just see the competitive aspects of Drake May. I think uh, this Carolina offense, they're going to have a lot of new pieces. So we're going to see how those all fit together. But just as far as Drake May going out in these competitions amongst the best college quarterbacks in the country and showing uh, that he is that guy, I think that has to bode well for him coming into the season and showing that he's ready to compete and prove that he is the best. But when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, Bobby Marks joins us, ESPN front office insider, to talk Hornets and what's on the table for them on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Excited to have Bobby Marks join us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline in just about eight minutes, giving us a free agency primer for the Charlotte Hornets. You can go check out his work on ESPN.com. Got to be an insider, but if you do become an insider, then you can go check out his work. He gives you a breakdown of how each team is going to be able to operate in the salary cap world. The Charlotte Hornets right now, they're below the tax at $56 million. But once they bring back some key free agents and all these other guys, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington come to mind, then you're probably talking about a team that is operating with a non-tax mid-level exception. That's about $12.5 million that you would have to dish out as well. So we'll see how the Hornets operate. My thing is, we've been operating as if it's a foregone conclusion that Miles Bridges is going to come back. I do... I do wonder if we're swayed off that a little bit because you did draft Brandon Miller, another front court, a guy that can go back to two and three, Mm -hmm. but someone that certainly has the three capability. It's why you drafted him number two overall. And if you're going to pay PJ Washington, because you don't want to lose defense, let's say you pay him. Let's just split the difference between 15, 20, which is his asking price. Let's just give him 18, whatever. If he's asking for 18, and you give P.J. Washington $18 million a year, then do you want to have enough space to where you just don't bring back Miles Bridges? He goes to a different team, or do you expect, no, there's enough indication that he is going to be playing for the Charlotte Hornets next year? I'm just kind of wondering what's going to happen because of the Brandon Miller pick and beyond. Yeah, I do too. And so uh, with Summer League on the horizon, and 
you can't wait to see what these guys are going to do in that environment. It'll give you somewhat of an indication, not necessarily the full scope uh, of things, but you just like the talent uh, that they brought in. And I just want to see how they acclimate to things early and just some of the flashes that you get out of these guys so it can let you uh, have a little bit of of hope and, and dream just a little bit. Yeah, and we'll see how they uh, how that affects Miles and if he might be coming back to the team or not in free agency. So when you look back at some of the free agents that could return, P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, Dennis Smith Jr., even a Kelly Oubre in there. You can pick, yeah, I mean, I don't think Kelly Oubre would be someone that you bring back. It's going to be tight, especially if you bring back P.J. and Miles. But who are the two that you would want most back, P.J., Miles, DSJ, and Kelly Oubre? Out of those four? Yep. Oh, that's hard. Uh, I would go with, I mean, in a perfect world, like I said, outside of stuff off the court, Miles and PJ. I mean, those are the two most talented out of that group, in my opinion. Yeah, PJ, you know I want back. I want small ball five stretching the floor. I want defense versatility, especially if you can put him at that power forward spot and then go small ball if Mark Williams needs a breather on the bench. Would love to bring P.J. Washington back, but that surprises no one. The Miles Bridges thing, maybe everyone else is able to shake the off-the-court stuff. And I know Michelle Johnson is saying to give Miles Bridges a second chance. And if she is saying that, then that is a valuable opinion to uphold when discussing whether Miles should come back on the roster. Doesn't mean, oh, okay, 100%, come on board. But it is an interesting opinion to hold. I do also wonder, too, this guy has not played NBA basketball for over a year. He's going to miss the next 10 games going into next season. Do you just want to wipe your hands clean of that? Brandon Miller comes on board. So you actually have a really talented guy that can play the Miles position. They're different. They're different stylistically, 100%. Like Miles Bridges is he's great at getting downhill, finishing at the rim, high flying dunks, just a bull driving in the paint. Even if he is the shorter player, he is one of the more powerful players that is going to be on the roster. So I wonder if you can bring back DSJ on a smaller contract. You don't bring back Kelly Oubre because it's too crowded in the front court already. And Kelly, while I thought he really stepped up in leadership at the second half of last season, the basketball, the production, the, you know, just maybe it's time to move on from him. PJ and DSJ would be the two that I think I would go foremost, but I'm interested. I just, I wonder if Miles Bridges is 100% coming back on the roster and we haven't heard Mitch Kupchak really talk about anything one way or the other. Right. I don't know if there's any reason for me to feel like this yet. I can't help it. Like, well, we also haven't heard any momentum. There were the initial reports that everyone expects Miles to come back, but maybe I'm just questioning it for no reason because of there's there's just been such a long drug out process before we got. No, they talked about before the draft how he was, quote, mum on the Miles Bridges topic. And it's one of those things to where if they are going to do something, you know, not necessarily what's the hold up, but it does feel like. This is the most gray area that I felt about it, especially with Brandon Miller on the horizon. I wondered, do you see enough from him to where maybe you decide uh, maybe the PR hit that we're going to take with both of these guys and 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 with what Miles did and what that's going to be like when he comes back? Is that worth it? Is he the type of player 
that he's going to be or will he be the type of player that he was before he left? Uh, if I still had to guess, I still would say yes. But I think the Hornets are just trying to take this as a topic that they don't want to broach until they absolutely have to. And that's why I think that Mitch didn't say much about it. I think he's just trying to hold that at bay because they know what's to come once the ink does hit the paper. And if they do decide to sign him, they know that there's going to be a whirlwind of questions uh, from all angles about that. July 1st is when free agency is going to hit, so it's going to happen all very quickly. Last year, the Charlotte Hornets only brought back Cody Martin on an $8 million a year deal. That was really the only big move that they made. And then they waited and then eventually brought Dennis Smith Jr. into the fold. They signed Teo Maladone, and that was about it. Those were the moves that they made. We were all wondering if they were going to bring back Miles Bridges, of course, and then he was arrested for felony domestic violence after he turned himself in in L.A. So once that happened, the day before free agency occurred, changed everything. I I don't need some of it's their fault for not bouncing back well enough, but also I'm not going to fault him 100% because you can't expect that. Nobody knew what was going to happen. You'd like to see them adapt a little better than they did and bring in some sort of outside help, but they didn't. And the Hornets, you know, finished the place that they did. And uh, yeah, not even seeing a play in tournament spot. A lot of that due to injuries, though. To talk more about this, who better than Bobby Marks, ESPN front office NBA insider, joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Bobby, we really appreciate the time. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, We're doing well, Bobby. Really appreciate you. We just saw that you wrote about the Charlotte Hornets and a lot of NBA teams as it pertains to free agency, how teams are going to be able to operate under the cap. And my question to you is the other ranking article that you put out a lot every single year on ESPN, it's the future rankings. So just to give a little bit of a teaser, maybe it's a little too early to call your shot in a specific way. But how much does this Brandon Miller selection at number two affect where you think the Hornets might rank in your uh, future rankings uh, coming up soon? I don't think it moves the needle. Um, I, I really, I think we got to see what Brandon looks like on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if you ask me a year from now, you know, Brandon's coming off an all rookie year. Um, I think that certainly has a, a bigger impact right now, but yeah, I mean the future, the future power rankings looks out in the next um, for the next three years here, but it's hard to, you know, it's hard to gauge where a player is, you know, in uh, in June than a, you know than from a year from now and everything like that. So I really like the pick. I thought Charlotte did a nice job. Um, certainly did a nice job with it in the draft as far as the direction um, they were able to go. Uh, I think that, you know certainly could have gone a lot of different directions here, but um, you know to kind of look at it kind of like Brandon, I always say don't get cheap with the draft. Players, but Nick Smith um, had lottery. You know, it was a lottery grade. I think certainly his injury history maybe you know plagued him a little bit. James Naji is a uh, you know I got to talk with him at length. Um, you know, I think he's just raw. Um, he's played limited minutes overseas, but he's as I said on TV, he's a physical specimen. And Amari Bailey is a nice you know nice nice point guard who played well in the, in the pre-draft camp. So I thought they got four nice players. 
Uh, Bobby, it was reported just a week before the draft actually happened that Michael Jordan would sell majority stake in the franchise, but would still be lead governor through the offseason concerning basketball operations. I'm curious with you, because you were with the Nets when Mikhail mm-hmm. Prokhorov purchased the yep. Nets back in 09. Uh, Bobby, this seems so hard. Like, how hard do you think it was for the Hornets to navigate something as important as the draft and even upcoming free agency when uh, there are so many important opinions to consider when making a second overall pick and beyond? I think the draft is a lot easier than free agency because you're trusting your talent evaluators, whether it be Mitch or Michael um, or Cliff. I think free agency is a different animal because there's a cost associated with it. The draft is everything is slotted 1 to 30. There's no negotiating um, from a financial. You're basically looking at your scouting reports and you're, you know, you're judging it from a, from a talent perspective and how that player fits. Now we get into free agency in a, in a couple of days here. Now that's a different animal because at the end of the day, this is not Michael Jordan's money anymore. This is the new ownership group's money here. So when you're looking at certainly PJ uh, Washington and, and Miles Bridges, two restricted free agents, uh, certainly um, Lamelo's um, uh, ex- rookie extension, um, two for 207, I think five for two, five years, 207. It's a big number. Um, that's where the change in the kind of holding pattern before everything gets final. That's where I think it more comes into play. And I think you certainly have to, I know the new group hasn't taken over yet, but I think you still have to have them on speed dial when you're in the midst of negotiating PJ, or maybe you do want, you may want to make a commitment to, to miles. I mean, with us in Brooklyn, it was different because Prokhorov took over in May, right during the combine. And by the time we got to July one, when we had, uh, you know, 50, $60 million cap space, he was, you know, he'd already been voted in here where right now I don't see that. Uh, I don't see that being the case until probably we, we get through, you know, get through the summer. Bobby Mox joins us on the body works plus guest hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at Bobby Marks 42 and Bobby with them bringing in Brandon Miller. I've always said that the Hornets need to figure out this roster this offseason as far as figuring out who's going to be the big two, big three, et cetera. But how should they shape this roster, especially from a salary cap standpoint, things of that nature to get the most uh, out of Brandon Miller and to be able to shape this roster the right way? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you certainly, I think, you know, certainly with Lamelo and Mark, I think, those, you know, those two are, you know, and, and then you add Brandon um, to the mix. I think it's going to be, you know, who's who do you pick or can you bring both back with Bridges and, and PJ? Um, you've got, you know, the expiring contract of Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, Terry's still in their contract for, um, you know, for a few few more years here. I think it's just getting an idea of kind of what your starting five is going to look like, whether it be, you know, um, you know Miller and in, in, uh, in Bridges. I mean, that's pretty intriguing. Then you got Mark Williams there. Um, you know, what's the cost going to be associated with, as I said, with PJ here? Um, but I do think you're starting to. I said it. You know, last week I said this was probably the most important draft in franchise history, uh, and I still mean that. And I think well, I'm intrigued to see these guys in summer league here. But I thought they did a really good job, and now you you start to see kind of a, a formation of uh, you know what this roster could be. And then when you talk about uh, bringing in Miller and him having that rookie deal, and then you talk about Miles Bridges and what he could potentially get, is there any chance Miles doesn't come back? Oh, sure. I mean, the likelihood is that he gets um, a qualifying offer, which is um, you know has to be by Thursday here. And I, I, it's hard for me to see a team going out and giving him an offer sheet just based on 
you know, everything that's happened, you're basically inheriting a player that's going to be suspended for, you know, the you know, first, you know, a little bit of the season here to begin with. Um, would he come back and sign the one-year qualifying offer? What's a comfort level with um, on a long-term deal here? Um, so, sure, I think there's, you know, but, I, you know, unless, you know, the Hornets pull the QO and uh, he got let, you know, he becomes an unrestricted free agent, um, you know, that becomes a little bit of a challenge. But I just, I, I, just, I just don't see a team out there giving him four for 60 in an offer sheet here and then Charles on a clock, you know, having to, you know, match it. Well, and Bobby, that was going to be my next question. You mentioned four for 60. I mean, for me, it's been hard to try to gauge the type of money he's going to get because it, Mitch Kupchak was basically telling us he's going to be back and it was going to be at about $30 million a year clip. But now, after missing a year because of his felony domestic violence arrest, yeah. he's going to miss the first 10 games of next season. I mean, even for someone as good as the, at this as you are, how do you assess his value right now with something that, I, I mean, he's kind of unprecedented given him missing the year for this thing? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because, you know, I mean, they have a, you know, Mitch and the ownership group, and they have a better understanding than probably the outside world, and they've, they've read the police report and they've seen everything that's come through, um, you know, as far as, you know, whether it be from a background or from a legal standpoint here, and that's what's your comfort level, right? I mean, things have changed, you know, on, on talent alone. Yeah. Miles is a, you know, 25, $30 million player, but last off season things changed dramatically as a result of, um, you know, everything here. And, um, is he looking for something short term and then maybe reestablish himself a year from now? I mean, certainly possible, but, for me, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going more than you know, thirteen, fourteen, maybe fifteen million dollars for him. That's, that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. That's the voice of Bobby Marks joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline, ESPN NBA front office insider. Bobby, I want to go back to the ownership angle real quickly. Mm-hmm. So, as a GM, what do you want? What should fans want from a new ownership group taking control? I just think you know, you don't have to come in and you know, being a Mets fan. You don't need to have a, 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 an owner come in and just throw money around. Like I've, you know, and, and baseball is different because there's no salary cap. But like, you know, I, I'm I'm watching this Mets team like just implode. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like so, like money doesn't mean anything, right? Like I think money means a lot when you're talking about the resources. When you have a coaching staff, or your front office, or you have the, the, the resources from a scouting department, or the software that you use, or the medical technology, all the things that you don't have a cap on um, with, with that, and providing the best comfort level for your players, and to make Charlotte a destination. There's no reason why Charlotte can be a destination. You're, yes, you're restricted as far as how you build out um, your roster because of the salary cap and how much you can pay players. Um, you're not restricted on how many scouts you can hire um, and go out and you know find under the radar guys or whether it's in college or in the draft stuff like that. So if I'm a fan, I'm thinking, wait, wait a minute, it's not going to be how you know. Hey, great owners want us to pay uh, Lamelo five for two hundred seven. That's great, but I want to know like how is the organization getting better with within itself? And 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 I think you'll, there'll be resources for them whether they add more scouts or they add more coaches or they. You know, they changed their the, you know medical te- technology here for that here. So I think it's more of kind of the behind the scenes when you look at it from from the basketball world. Bobby, when you look at this roster too, which free agent moves and trade scenarios make the most sense for the Hornets, and, and what should they try to get back, or what type of guys should they try to go for if they do try to enhance the roster a little bit? 
Yeah, I mean, you've got, um, you know, you're, you're going to likely be an over-the-cap team <clears throat> just because of where you are. You know, you, your, your guaranteed money is pretty low. Um, so you're going to have your non-tax, which is at 12-4. I think you can certainly add some shooting to that roster. Um, from a trades perspective, I think, you know, Gordon's number is, is somewhat interesting if you maybe you're willing to take back money um, for players that, um, that help you. I think the first couple of days of free agency kind of sets the table as far as kind of who's available and who's not. I think Gordon Summer has available uh, has a lot of value too because there's a lot of teams out there um you know that are looking to, you know, move off money. Hey, if you if you wanted to get um you know um John Collins and inherit that money, you probably wouldn't have been able to do that. And I think those are the type of deals that you were probably looking at that teams that some of these higher spending teams that have length on years, um, you know, swapping it out for an expiring contract. It's a very busy man joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline in between the NBA draft and upcoming NBA free agency. Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, joining us here on Weston Walker. Bobby, we really appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. That's awesome stuff to hear. How about the figure he threw out there annually for Miles Bridges? Interesting. Not something that I really expect. I that's going to be fascinating to it see It is, still. man. I can't wait. Fascinating. And also just talking about what you might want in an owner. There's a lot of good stuff to recap. Maybe we do that in the last segment. And we could lead off with it tomorrow. The leftovers, baby. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Bring out the microwave. That's right. We got or some stuff oven. to heat up. It's still very good. We can do whatever you want to. Just get some kind of kitchen appliance. We're going to reheat this food. One more segment to go. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Big thanks to Bobby Marks hopping on, talking about the Charlotte Hornets post-draft pre-free agency. This is what I always forget about once the NBA draft is over. Oh, you, you think there's some rest time, but nah, joke's on you. Nope. You got free agency to roll with. Summer League is happening very quickly after that and in the midst of everything going on. Plus, the last two off-seasons, Wes, b- both of them have been crazy for the Charlotte Hornets. Both of them have. Because last year... Right before free agency hits, Miles Bridges does get arrested for felony domestic violence. You also have a coaching change. Late, late in the process, James Borrego gets fired. I'm like, oh, okay, we thought it was going to happen sooner rather than later, but no, Michael Jordan apparently took some time, thought about it, and they sent JB on home. And then you hired Kenny Atkinson, and Atkinson said, uh, never mind. <laughs> Let me go back to Golden State after winning this championship because he was already a member of the Hornets or he was supposed to be the head coach while that finals was going on. And then they win the chip and he's staying in San Francisco. He's not coming over. So then you're scrambling Mike D'Antoni. No, Terry Stotts. 
Let's just go back to Steve, y'all. Let's go back, baby. Get that old thing back. Steve is cool. Hmm. I like Steve. Let's just have him be the head coach. And then I, I put out a tweet last year about how all the craziness was happening. And then I quote tweeted that a couple of days ago. I was like, what if I told you 2022 was actually low key? This was high key off season for the morning. <laughs> Trying to figure out who you wanted between Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson. Now we have free agency. Miles Bridge is still just as uh, just uh, um, as much a part of the news cycle because you got to figure out if you're going to bring him back on the roster. It's been nuts for the Hornets the last two years. It definitely has been, and I think it's kind of a it's a good thing for them to be uh, in the news. But Outside I can't wait the mile to see stuff. Yeah, sure. But I can't wait to see how everything is going to play out when free agency starts on Friday, especially this Miles Bridges thing. Are other teams going to offer? What will the Hornets do? Lots of questions still to be answered. And I think, I don't know if you get a, a trade or two that happens maybe, but the Hornets definitely are going to be a team to watch as free agency approaches. So I asked Bobby what fans should want in a new owner. Coming from a GM perspective, he was with the Nets, by the way, for a long time. He was an intern, a public relations intern, mind you, in the mid-90s. And then he eventually resigned as the assistant GM with the Nets in 2014-2015. So he was in a bunch of different roles in between then. And Mikhail Prokhorov, he purchased the Nets in 2009, sold the Nets in 2019. So he was a part of that process when ownership is changing hands. He said, you don't have to come in and spend a boatload of money. Just make smart decisions. Yep. Which seems simple. And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, Bobby, we, we want these guys to make smart decisions, but... Man, you know what? It is a beautiful thing when the owner does that. Like, I don't need you to come in and spend a boatload of money in free agency to go into the luxury tax, maybe go be, you know, aspire to be the seven seed, whatever. I know team, I know fans have been frustrated because MJ is viewed as a cheap owner. But if you come in and just build something to the point where you can get to a spot where you need to spend money for a championship contender or conference finals contender, then that's all we're really asking for. That makes sense, yeah. And Bobby Marks putting it that way, it it made sense to me with him as a former assistant GM and trying trying to put the shoes on of a fan as well and saying that's what you would want from a new owner. Now... I want to ask you what you would want from the minority ownership, like J. Cole, uh-huh. like Eric Church, if you are a country music fan. Do you want more concerts? Do you want more apparel? Do you want to see them out there on the court a little bit more? Yeah, it always interests me when guys like that get involved with sports teams. Like, what are they going to bring to the table from a J. Cole and an Eric Church? Are we going to get more uh, music-based types of things? Are we going to have pregame concerts? Are we going to have some of their uh, high-ranking friends come in and do them some favors, so to speak. But also, too, you know, just just the image of the franchise. Are we going to see different things of that? Will we see uh, inspired merchandise in the team shops and things like that? Just little things that they can do to put their stamp on a franchise, even though they're not uh, majority owners, but in their minority ownership role. We know they're there for certain reasons for J. Cole, especially appealing to the urban community. What's going to happen there? And for Eric Church, to appeal to the community of people uh, who love his music as well. What will we get from him? That's going to be some of the things to watch going forward as well. And that's some of the things I would want. What about yeah, music at the game? You don't have to put on concerts. But I always go to Golden State. They'll play some E-40 in the background. I think Houston will play some UGK. And that's always nice Yeah, to the hear. Hornets need some new music because they're playing still the same in-game music they've been playing since 
uh, even when I was doing the games. And I was like, man, I feel like they would update the music from year to year, especially at the rate in which we get music every single week. It's like, man, y'all still playing the same tracks during the game? The intro video, I forget what year it was, but is it? Is you ready? Whole squad ready. Oh, yeah, the Migos joint. Yeah. <laughs> they played that. That was in my head every yeah, time. Yeah, and in the in game music, they played the exact same stuff. I'm like, wait a minute. You Madcon Bagan is a big favorite of yeah. theirs. They love playing Madcon. I'm trying to think of some of the other music. They'll play Kick in the Door. Kick in the Door is something they they'll bring in. What mm-hmm. are some other songs that come to mind? Uh, it's the one that they play all the time. I, I, it was one of the songs off the Dreamville mm-hmm. compilation. Um, Which is what you would expect, though, now, especially with J. Cole being more Right, they just it. play it all the time, and it wasn't one of my favorite beats that they would play. But just the fact that, like I said, they're still playing the exact same stuff, the exact same order pretty much throughout the game. I'm like, can we get some updates on the, the instrumentals you guys want to play? Joey from Huntersville said the Panthers still play mystical, a bunch of crying, laughing face emojis. I, you know, mystical. Okay. It depends on the track, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, it depends, but I'm okay. I'm here with the mystical. If you want to play some mystical at bank. It all the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Do it right there. <laughs> I love mystical, man. Yeah. Um, although, actually, off the off the concert yeah, off the stage, mic. it's yeah. not great. Yeah, yeah. so I'm gonna cover my tracks. Not on a that. guy to aspire to be. Yeah, I don't listen to mystical for those out there. Yeah. Asking, but just had to give a quick impression. Um, yeah, let's move off of that really quickly. Um, we do have Spence <laughs> also writing in. Uh, the Hornets play Who's Real from Jadakiss during the game. I'm trying to remember if I if I recognize that. I don't know about a whole lot of Jadakiss. Number one troll, we must protect this house. I don't know if anybody else is playing that. That's like the classic Under Armour commercial. Yeah, I remember that. That was when they first like started to get on the scene, too. I think the hero's coming. We must coming. protect this house. Click, clack. Yeah, yeah. I think the hero's coming. <laughs> that, was a, that was a great commercial. It I don't was. know if anybody is playing that, but I am happy that you uh, reminded me of that commercial. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, um, somebody tweeted in, when I, or texted in, when I asked Bobby about what you want from new ownership. One guy just wrote in, Hey, just hire friends and family and everything should be fine. <laughs> just do that. Oh, that would be so the same thing from sub. MJ. Yeah, the nepotism, it was a lot, okay? Um, I would argue that a lot of owners operate this way. Nepotism is a real thing yeah. in all sports. But when Larry Jordan is an important part of the front office, Buzz Peterson, Mitch Kupchak, two North Carolina guys, one was MJ's um roommate in college i remember going into spectrum center and i saw brandon robinson rolling a you know carton of balls or whatever i was like <laughs> wait what brandon robinson yeah yeah like the carolina blue mafia it is strong super real are we going to see as many tar heels with new ownership because i still think with michael being a part of the team you probably are still going to have that connection that's uh they may but a new ownership i think they may want to put their stamp on things as well so maybe you might see a little bit of that cut down uh queso gato Cheese cat. He said, <laughs> solid mystical impression. All right, let's leave that with one more. Good. You want to go with one more? We'll see who can. We'll, we'll end a photo finish with who has the better mystical impression. Go ahead, Wes. You, you hit me first, and then I can hit you first if you want. I put you on the spot. Y'all better get ready to rumble. Okay. All right. This is mine. Danger. Get on the phone. <laughs> That's the last one. That'll do it for Weston Walker. Keep it right here for the Kyle Bailey show alongside Josh Fitty Marlowe right here. Sports radio 92.7 WFNZ.